Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. I don't want to. I don't want to attribute my name to the things that I say. <laughs> you have sometimes, and sometimes you have it. Anyway, my name is Meredith. Interesting one. Okay. Well, I've been watching Grey's Anatomy. Oh, all right, fair. This is a music history podcast where I'm trying to teach Meredith, I guess. <laughs> music history bit by bit it's fun we (laughs) have a good time sometimes most of the time yeah we have a good time so this one's probably going to be late again so sorry about that oh because it's wednesday yeah we're it's literally supposed to to be up in eight hours what you can't bang this out in eight hours just don't edit it I could if I didn't want to sleep or if I didn't have a soccer game to watch. But since both of those are true, I probably can't edit it tonight. Just don't edit it. (laughs) I have to or else we're going to be talking over music that people can't hear. Oh, okay. We'll only edit that part. Okay. That's the part that takes the longest, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to help you out here. Thank you. Okay. Well, Ah. speaking of helping us all out, Mika is the host now. Oh, So help us all out with some information about something. I am an expert in no things. That's not true. It's definitely true. You're an expert in your field. I am definitely not. You know more about pediatric cardiology than in a nursing capacity than like 95% of people in the world. Anyone in the Maybe medical 99%. Field, anyone in the medical field who considers themselves an expert either has done years and years and years and years and years and years and years of study. Or is dumb. You've done years and years and years of study. I, I've done years. You're more expert than... This doesn't matter. What is your segment? <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm talking about this. I really like the limoncello LaCroix that I just tried. That was... Yum- Listen. I hate LaCroix. Listen. Seltzer water has been what's keeping me hydrated for the past week. So, you can put your hatred on hold, although LaCroix is definitely the worst. But the limoncello one is very delicious. No. No seltzer water is is. delicious. You're wrong. I am correct. Okay, is that all you had? Was Um, that your plug? Yeah. (laughs) Boring. Yeah. All right. Well, Mika is no longer the host now. Who's Mika? I'm, I'm Sorry, Meredith is no longer the host now. Oh, God. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> oh, no. I still want to be the host. Oh, no. Barbecue mac and cheese. Very delicious. Going to okay. eat it for dinner. It's really great. You put some barbecue chicken, barbecue sauce, and some mac and cheese. And, and if you're reheating mac and cheese, you can throw in a little extra cheese to make it creamier. To get that creaminess back. Okay. It's good. Okay. That's it. All right. Now you're no longer the host again. (laughs) So do you remember what we talked about last week? Race records. What do you remember about it? Want to give us a brief little recap? I remember that it's not a document record (laughs) of black people. I did learn that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's the start. Because, yeah, that's what I originally thought that it was. I don't know. It's just a lot of exploitation. 
Yeah, that's fair. Anything else you want to say about it, or are we just leaving it at that? No, we're just leaving it at that. Okay. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the person who kickstarted the race records craze, Mamie Smith. I wanted to talk about her when we covered the blues, but I couldn't stop myself from talking about Robert Johnson, so I'm glad we have the chance to tell her story now instead. And this will take us back into the world of blues, but I'm okay with that because I like the blues. <laughs> We're going to have a whole blues part two in like a month or so, so that'll be fun. Are you good? Yeah. <laughs> That's the blues song that I know. <laughs> From the office. <laughs> this might be a bit of a shorter episode since there isn't a lot of info on Mamie Smith that I could find. But that's okay because we have a soccer game to watch in 17 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mamie Smith is known as the queen of the blues, probably for good reason. Besides having the first blues recording, her influence on the scene is absolutely massive. She helped develop and evolve it in exciting new ways and worked with a lot of the top artists of the day, all while battling tough discrimination in an industry and, to a large extent, country that didn't accept her at all. She's a pretty special person. All these strong people out there, I am impressed. Very little is known about her early years, but historians believe that she was born Mamie Robinson in 1883 or 1881, in Cincinnati, Ohio. I know those dates don't really matter because you all probably already forgot them. 1883 and 1881. There you go. I don't know why I decided to pay attention. That Do you time. remember the city? Cincinnati. Good job. I know. <laughs> and my brain is on for the first time all day. <laughs> From a very early age, she was interested in show business and actually found work at 10 years old with a traveling vaudeville group known as the Four Dancing Mitchells. I love that name. I'm pretty sure they were just four brothers named Mitchell. Like that was their last name. That's a fantastic name. I couldn't really find anything about that group. But I mean, we can assume they were dancers. And like I looked it up and I found a group called that, but from like later. Mm. So it wasn't the same group. So I I don't really know anything about these guys, but I did a lot of research trying to find out. Mamie worked in vaudeville for the next 10 years, all through her teens, with various different groups. Mostly, she performed as a dancer and a singer. In 1913, when she was 20 years old, she quit the vaudeville circuits and settled down in Harlem because she married a singer named Smitty. I mean, she's 20 years old. It's She's got to leave her, her youth behind. Exactly. <laughs> she's already like well into her adult years at this point this in is history. childbearing years. You got to <laughs> get on that. But my question is, her name before this was apparently Mamie Robinson. So if she changed it to Mamie Smith when she got married, that means she married Smitty Smith. Is this like New Girl where Smitty is actually his last name and it's just what he goes by? I don't know. I don't know anything about this guy really, but like if his name is Smitty Smith, that's a little bit rough. That Mamie Smith might have been a stage name. That might not have been a real name. Was she married more than once? I don't think so. I think this was it. Let's look it up real quick. Please just Google Smitty Smith. Okay. She was married again. Oh. To a guy named Jack Goldberg. Oh. Okay. But that was like later, I think. 
They don't really know when they got married. Okay, well, whatever. She's married to a guy named Smitty at this point, living in Harlem, and she's 20 years old. That just sounds scary. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) She was a regular singer at nightclubs and spots around the neighborhood, slowly gaining attention and fame around the city. One contemporary singer wrote about seeing Mamie Smith performing in Harlem during this time. She said, quote, Miss Smith walked out on that stage and I could not breathe for a minute. She threw those big sparkling eyes on us with that lovely smile, showing those pearly white teeth with a diamond the size of one with the with a diamond the size of one of her teeth. That girl's gay. <laughs> okay. In nineteen eighteen, Mamie was starring in an all-black review titled Made in Harlem. It was a musical show produced by Perry Bradford, who was a major figure in Mamie's career. Do you remember that name? No. We talked about him last week. I don't know. He's the guy who played the very boring song on the piano that we listened to. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. That's fair, I guess. Bradford grew up in Atlanta and got his start working in minstrel shows. He eventually moved between Chicago and New York, working as a soloist, singer, pianist, and composer. And he didn't do very well, because he's apparently very forgettable. (laughs) To you. (laughs) He did really well. Okay. Of course, we wouldn't be talking about him otherwise. He settled in New York and, for the next decade, worked in the theater scene, developing and producing shows. Actually, is this the guy we talked about last week? I'm (laughs) doubting myself now. Now you don't remember... Okay, I was wrong. Clarence Williams was the guy we talked about. Ha! I that's thought it was why Perry. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Sorry. <laughs> I don't remember Clarence Williams <laughs> either. Well, that's a more generic name than Perry Brad. I figured you would remember a Perry. That's true. I didn't even connect the dots until then. My brother's name is Perry. After Perry the Platypus. That's not true. <laughs> 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 so, anyway... Even though with your parents, I wouldn't be surprised. I can't do that, can I? Sorry, Disney. So Perry Bradford settled in New York and for the next decade worked in the theater scene, developing and producing shows. I can't find much info about his show he did with Mamie, but Bradford claimed that Made in Harlem was the first stage production that introduced blues to the northern audiences in Harlem. I can't say that's completely true, but that's what Bradford claimed anyway. And it's a very, like, niche thing, so I don't know why it wouldn't be true. Like, this is the first show that introduced blues to the audiences in northern Harlem. Like, uh, all right, fine. So somehow Mamie Smith wound up in Bradford's show in Harlem. Bradford had this crazy idea that he wanted his music recorded. That's at stupid. <laughs> at that time, it was very unusual to record African Americans commercially. A few had managed to break through, like the legendary Burt Williams, but Perry Bradford wasn't a huge name. He had, like, no clout with any of the record companies, so it was crazy for him to think that any would want to record him. I think that's the first time I've heard you use the word clout. Really? I think I've said it before in the show. Okay. <laughs> he contacted a few record companies and was rejected until General Phonograph finally let him record with the OK label. So in February of 1920, Bradford brought Mamie to their studios in New York to record two songs, Can't Keep a Good Man Down and That Thing Called Love. The backing band for those songs were all white, and they sold relatively well, despite Southern groups boycotting the record label for recording an African-American. God, sometimes I hate the South. They opened the doors for African-Americans to be recorded. 
Do you want to hear? You can't keep a good man down. I would rather hear this thing called love. Right. Too bad. And it's not this thing called love. It's that thing called love. This, that, potato, potato. She's so cute. recording. Alright, well that was like her first recording. One of them anyway. Cool. What do you think? I think she's cute. Okay. I think that it's good song. It's <laughs> not my favorite. It's a little boring. A few months later, in August of 1920, Bradford and Mamie returned to OK Studios to record again. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this time, they recorded two songs written by Bradford, and they were backed by a group of African-American musicians known as the Jazz Hounds. That's cute. <laughs> they, again, recorded two songs. It's right here for you in her most famous Crazy Blues. We've played it a few times already in this show but it's worth playing again. So here is Crazy Blues. Do you remember this from last week? Probably not. Did we listen to it just last yes. week? Yes. <laughs> Why did you do it two weeks in a row? Because it's been a while. I can't and it's such an important song. I can't it's the one you like and I don't. We won't play that much of it. But look at these dudes' faces. They're the jazz hounds. This guy's like... Ah, go to get you. <laughs> and then this guy's like, his face is too big for his body. I think that's Perry Bradford. Like, his features genuinely look too big for his body. Okay, well, that was crazy blues. He looks like he has that um, filter on where your eyes and your lips are, like, big. Yeah. Might be. Maybe. Maybe he had an early version of that filter just permanently on his face. <laughs> Despite the head of OK getting boycott threats if he recorded an African-American singer and white audiences hating the very thought of it, the record sold really well, over 75,000 copies within the first few months of its release, and it sold over a million within the first year. Good for them. This was considered a smash hit for the label. In case you don't remember, Crazy Blues is considered the first, the first recording of a blues song. I did read in the research that Mamie doing these recordings was a bit of an accident, since Perry Bradford initially planned on recording with another singer named Sophie Tucker, but Mamie had to fill in when Sophie got sick. Oh. I'm not 100% sure that's true, but I saw it in a couple of different places, so I thought oh. it was interesting. History could have been completely different. Mamie Smith was a bit different than other prominent African-American singers of the time. Most of them grew up and developed playing in tent shows or brothels or like more seedy venues. Mamie grew up playing in theaters in the northern vaudeville circuit. My theory is that this gave her a musical style more in tune with white, middle, and upper class audiences. She was used to singing for them in a way that other performers weren't, so she knew what they liked. Kind of like little Izzy playing on street corners, like he learned what the people little wanted so he could tailor Izzy. what he did to what they wanted. Little Izzy is my favorite person. Really? <laughs> that Ever? we've talked about. <laughs> yeah, I love him more than I love you. <laughs> fair no he's way more successful than i'll ever be you don't know that he wrote god bless america (laughs) 
maybe you 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 can write America. It's beautiful. <laughs> no, I was gonna say something very unpatriotic. Um, America, the blessed. America, get it together. <laughs> the anthem of 2020. <laughs> The success of these records launched race records. Labels saw that African-Americans were willing to buy music and like actually had a little bit of an income to do so. So they started hunting for African-American artists that they could market and sell to market and sell to those communities. It also started the era that is now known as classic female blues since labels started hunting for female singers to mimic what Mamie Smith did. The records were pretty revolutionary in the American music scene. Due to the success of these recordings, Mamie started a tour with the Jazz Hounds, who had quite a few, to- few notable musicians in the group. I don't know any of them, but that's what I was told. Bear trumpet player. <laughs> really tall guy. Bear trumpet player? Yeah, that's what he's doing. He's the bear claw? Little, he's the original bear claw? The original bear claw. Bear claw. They started to go by Mamie Smith and her Jazz Hounds. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> After Crazy Blues, Mamie was a star, and she played clubs and shows all over America and Europe. She wore beautiful long gowns and a lot of jewelry on stage. I want to see that. Which kind of set the precedent for the blues diva persona I that see would that. follow when we all knew so well. I want to see that. Well, lucky for you, here's a recording of yes. one of her later performances. Yes. With us tonight, a star of a decade ago. And you can believe me, she is marvelous as a singer of the blues. Ladies and gentlemen... She is from the 1938. First of the red hot mamas. I'd like to have you meet all over again, Mamie Smith. Get it, girl. You sparkle. Oh, she's so cute. Lord, Lord, <laughs> Probably could have write that. These lyrics were. Well. Yeah. <laughs> All right, she's got me there. I can't. I don't think I can do that. All right. Well, that was just kind of like give you a little bit of a peek at her stage persona. I love it. This was later, so her like earlier years was probably more than that. A little bit more drama. Yeah, exactly. I, I loved that gown. She's the original diva. Yes. From 1920 to 1924, Mamie continued to record for OK. At this time, she was billed as the queen of the blues and made a bunch of recordings that sold decently well. None as well as Crazy Blues, but, you know, she did all right. Most of these recordings weren't really blues. They were more like vaudeville type songs. She also figured out that radio was a good way to introduce herself to new audiences especially ones that weren't exactly favorable to African-American performers. Because they can't see her. Yeah. She would appear on radio shows in cities that she played so people could hear her first, fall in love with her sound, and then come to see her show. That's awesome. So it's like the first, like, doing the talk show circuit. Like, she's basically Mm -hmm. doing that. I love that. To promote her movie, she's just promoting her performance in cities. During this period of mega stardom, Mamie Smith got fabulously wealthy. She spent a lot of money on houses, servants, and jewelry, which probably increased the diva image that she helped develop. By 1924, OK Records developed a pretty strong lineup of African-American blues singers and no longer needed Mamie Smith. 
They even signed Bessie Smith and started billing her as Empress of the Blues. That's rude. Which is a higher title than Queen. That's rude. So Mamie left OK. Disrespectful. (laughs) So Mamie left OK and made a couple records with Victor and then Ajax Records. But they didn't sell as well as her old stuff. It seems her style was fading compared with the more genuine blues sounds of people like Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey. She never had like that true blues type mm-hmm. thing going for mm-hmm. her. But that's what people wanted now. But Mamie kept performing and recording. In the late 20s, she started to act in movies, showcasing her talents as an all-around performer, not just a singer. Do you want to see her in a movie from 1929? Uh, Yes, I want to see her in a movie from 1929. It's called Jailhouse Blues. from her movie. Well, a movie that she was in. She probably wasn't the star. Shame. In 1930, she was basically a club singer and didn't do much recording. (laughs) She would perform in a bunch of different New York City clubs until she retired from performing in 1931. In 1938, she came out of retirement to act in her then-husband's movie, Paradise Harlem. So she took a few years off in the middle there. Don't know what she was doing, but, you know, whatever. Just being a diva. Yeah. Stay at home diva. Between that movie and 1943, she would appear in at least five other movies. I don't think any of them were like hits, but I mean, they did okay. As we talked about a bit with Louis Armstrong, it was hard to sell movies featuring African Americans in prominent roles all over the country. They would do okay in places like Chicago and Detroit, but like down south, those scenes either had to be completely cut or the movies just wouldn't be aired. Cool. That's cool. That's cool. That That's cool. <laughs> that sounds sarcastic. Yeah. Mamie Smith died in Harlem in 1946 after a long battle with an illness. I don't know mm-hmm. what she tried, died from. I tried to find it, but apparently no one bothered to record it for some reason. Because she was black. Reportedly, she died with no money. She was buried what? in an unmarked grave, and her death went largely unnoticed by the wild, wider world until the 1960s when she started to get some more recognition for what she had done. Because at this point, like, she wasn't a star. No one really, her popularity completely vanished, and no one really cared about, like, the historical importance of what she did because it didn't really matter at that point. But now that people are looking back, they're like, oh, yeah, she did this thing that's, like, hugely important. Mamie Smith and her landmark recordings paved the way for a lot of the great blues singers we know and love today. She and Perry Bradford opened the doors for all of them to be recorded. She was a unique and larger-than-life talent. Good for her. That's the story of Mamie Smith. I was kind of sad that there wasn't... More information. Yeah. Wasn't a lot to like go on about like how she was as a person, what she was yeah. doing in her personal life, and how she got started. They're just... I don't know. I guess she wasn't considered that important back then. And so there's not as much recorded. Yeah. yeah. 
She wasn't like Louie. She wasn't like, I don't know, these be, these big artists because she was decently popular for a little period of time and then kind of just faded away. Yeah. But now we talk about her, so it's okay. I'm sure she's thrilled. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Mamie Smith. Thanks, Mamie. Next week is the Bing Crosby special. Yes. That's uh, a... Probably at least double this episode's length since this is a short one. I'm so excited. Like, for example, this was like three and a little bit pages mm-hmm. script-wise. The Bing Crosby special is nine pages. I cannot wait. It's, it's a lot. I cannot wait. So that one, buckle in for that one, people. <laughs> if you're planning on listening to it. It's a fun Get one, Get you a, a limoncello LaCroix to sip on. <laughs> <laughs> I like Bing, though. It's going to be a fun one. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Bye, friends. It's a short one. Hopefully, we made it all the way. Go and.